So yeah, all of our molecules actually look from a chemical structure point of view, very similar to the molecules that we would know of as psychedelics, the things like, like DMT or 5-methoxy-DMT or psilocybin, very similar structurally. It's really amazing once you understand how these molecules bind in the receptors that exist in the in the human just a slight tweak here or there will change what it binds to what it turns on or off so it's they look very very similar welcome to the mindfulness experience podcast i'm your host keith fiveson today we have a very special guest joining us in the studio dr joseph tucker the CEO and Director of Enverec Biosciences. Enverec Biosciences is a biotechnology company that is dedicated to developing novel small molecule therapeutics for treatment of anxiety, depression, and addiction disorders. As an industry leader, Dr. Joseph Tucker has an impressive background in building several publicly traded biotechnology companies. He has an in-depth understanding of the industry and works towards providing innovative solutions for mental health disorders. So without further ado, let's dive into the interview with Dr. Joseph Tucker. Hello, 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 Dr. Tucker. How are you? It's so good to see you and have you here. Thank you very much for being here. Well, hi, Keith. Uh, it's really great to be here as well. So thank you very much for the opportunity to be on the show. I'm, I am excited to uh, to chat with you and, and also to tell your audience about what it is Enveric is up to. Well, I'm, I'm incredibly interested in finding out a little bit more about Enveric Biosciences. And I know you've been developing some small molecule therapeutics. I'd like to understand, uh, maybe we can unpack that. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is? And, you know, what uh, is Enveric Biosciences all about? What's your work about? Sure. So, you know, we what we are excited about in this psychedelic sector, this psychedelic approach to mental health, is the discovery. There's basically been a new class of molecules of which the psychedelics, I would, I would classify as the originals mm. in this new class of molecules. And it's something that's, that uh, is being talked about really at the highest levels of science these days, mm -hmm. Science Magazine, Nature Magazine, the top magazines in the world, journals in the world. And they talk about this new class of molecules called neuroplastogens, or some people call them psychoplastogens. Mm -hmm. What this really means is a molecule that induces neuroplasticity, mm -hmm. causes your brain to rewire. Mm -hmm. The psychedelics are the first that it's really how we discovered the class was we said how are psychedelics actually working and in figuring that out we realized this was a new mechanism mm -hmm. induce neuroplasticity get the brain to rewire itself mm -hmm. so what we're doing at Enveric is we recognize the power the impact of these molecules on patients we think it's essential that they be advanced all the way till we actually are able to treat patients with them. And so in, in chasing that, we've created these new molecules. We've created a whole bunch of new molecules, these neuroplastogens mm -hmm. that we are trying to develop clinically and ultimately become treatments 
for patients. So when we look at neuroplastogens, are they basically psychedelics without the psychedelic aspect to it? Or are we talking about some uh, capability from a neurogenesis, neuroplasticity viewpoint to be able to go ahead and let's say re- stop the default mode network, go back, deal with trauma, deal with PTSD, or is there a psychedelic uh, a hallucinogenic kind of component to it? So we think the answer is both. Mm-hmm. So both. neuroplastogens are really mm-hmm. defined by the ability to induce neuroplasticity Mm -hmm. some of those the ones that appear to be honestly the most powerful the ones where you can take you know a a short course of action maybe a single event and have a long-lasting benefit to the patient Mm -hmm. subject to integration of course that's one class and those are very powerful but we've also found a subclass where you can apparently remove the hallucination Mm -hmm. still get the neuroplasticity still get the benefit those ones are not as powerful in you know their impact we think you're going to have to take them repeatedly Mm -hmm. but because they don't cause hallucinations that's actually fun right Mm -hmm. you wouldn't want to have to take a hallucination inducing thing every single day Mm -hmm. but if it's like taking an advil that's no problem you can take Mm -hmm. that so we do actually see both Mm -hmm. categories the molecules seem to fall into one or the other Mm-hmm. So when I take a look at, uh, like, for example, SSRIs, so SSRIs, the efficacy rates uh, for SSRIs is, it's not uh, maybe 50%, I think normally around 40% or so. And then, of course, there's a numbing effect there. Uh, and the big uh, discussion around, obviously, psychedelics is that there's a reboot, there's a reset, there's a reframe, and then you don't necessarily, after maybe two, three, four times, you know, efficacy rates are 60, 80%, depending upon what you're doing, depending upon the therapeutic approach. Uh, And then you're talking about these, um, you know, neuroplastogens without the psychedelics and the ability to go ahead and take those, but it sounds a little bit more like an SSRI in the fact that you have to take it every day, but, the difference being is that you're not numbed and you're not uh, dealing with the trauma or the PTSD that you might get like a scratched record that keeps bringing you back to some event that really upsets you and doesn't allow you to be present. So I'm just wondering, um, it, it, do I do I get that right in terms of what, you know, Enverec is up to in terms of the neuroplastogens or the uh, well, the other one was the psychoplastogens. Did I? But yeah, it's another term. It's another, another term. term. Means the same thing. Yes. Same thing. Yeah. So I, th- I think I follow you, uh, Keith. Mm-hmm. And and I would say so. First off, with regard to what we refer to as the classic psychedelics, mm-hmm. the the ones which do induce the hallucinations, uh, it still remains to be seen in. The larger context of the, you know, the broad clinical trials, is it truly going to be 60%, 80%? Is it going to last for a year? Hmm. Let's see, right? Like we're all crossing our fingers. We mm-hmm. want that to be the case. But, you know, often early studies are very narrow in the patient populations. And so you can kind of, you can get a better result in those early studies than you do in your big phase threes. And that's, of course, 
why you do big broad facers and and it all depends on the set setting and the integration Mm. and the capability to go ahead and really work on the issue right 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 exactly so in the real world Mm -hmm. it may not be so easy like you just said if the integration for example is very important and if the integration is handled differently by different Mm -hmm. service providers then you may not get that same benefit that you saw in those mm-hmm. early narrow studies. Having said that, what we see with with both classes of neuroplastogens, both the ones that induce hallucinations and the ones that don't, the real sort of excitement here is that it appears to be a different mechanism of action than has mm-hmm. previously been pursued. And that makes sense because we're actually hitting a different receptor now. We're hitting the 5-HT2A, where before all previous drugs tried to avoid the 5-HT2A. So because we're going through this different receptor, it makes sense. And why that's significant is because it means generally it's additive, Mm -hmm. so complementary or maybe even synergistic with other treatment modalities, right? So you're not ah, the person's only 40%, and I agree with you, it's like Mm -hmm. 40% success Mm -hmm. in things like SSRIs. Mm -hmm. Well, this is maybe, you don't, maybe you don't have to take the person off SSRIs. You can keep SSRIs going and do this, Mm -hmm. and together you'll get a better response. Mm -hmm. And there has been a few early clinical studies that actually do suggest a synergy, that the two Mm -hmm. together are better than either one by by themselves. So Mm -hmm. that's the excitement. Mm -hmm. Coming at different mechanism. I, I would agree that the, the hallucination inducing one seems to be really powerful, really durable effect, but it's mm. not something you want to do every day. Mm. Right? So maybe that's, um, maybe that's the sort of initial phase when you're dealing with a crisis or you've got mm. somebody in a very difficult situation and then you have the maintenance dose, the non-hallucination that mm. you can keep them on long term. may make a lot of sense mm. to think of the two in that context. Mm. Well, this is a very uh, complex issue, isn't it? I mean, you know, there's, I mean, and that's why the research and that's why the studies are really so important. And, and, you know, companies like yours are really helping to lead the way in terms of the research and the development. And I'm wondering when you start taking a look at the issues, you know, tackling the issues around mental health and these disorders, how have you been able to address, you know, uh, you know, difficult problems like 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 mental health uh to address uh through address these issues whereas you mentioned traditional methods might be uh, might be the ssris and how do you go ahead and do these studies you know what is what does it look like and you know where is the uh uh, what's the process if you can kind of help us walk through that and and I'm also very interested in what the chemical components are in terms of the, hallucina- uh, the hallucinogenics. Are they similar to psilocybin and so on? If you can talk to that, that would be great. Sure, I'll try to answer your questions in yeah, reverse. Sorry, I, I know I have a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's great. Uh, it's, it's fun to unpack with you. So yeah, all of our molecules mm-hmm. actually look from a chemical structure point of view, very similar mm-hmm. to the molecules that we would know of as psychedelics, the things mm-hmm. like like DMT or 5-methoxy-DMT or Mm -hmm. psilocybin, very similar structurally. It's Mm -hmm. really amazing. Once you understand how these molecules bind in the receptors Mm -hmm. that exist in the the human, just a slight tweak here or there 
will change what it binds to, what it turns on or off. So it's they look very, very similar. Whether they're hallucination inducing or not, they actually look quite similar. Uh, in terms of running the clinical trials, they really do fall into the two categories are quite different from each other. Honestly, when you have the hallucinogenic molecule, as we've seen from the clinical trials that that MAPS has run, that Compass has run, that other companies have run, um, with when you're inducing that hallucination, as you said, the set and setting is very important. The um, the pre-therapeutic sort of dialogue, setting up, setting the stage, and then the integration on the backside, all very controlled. You need to have two healthcare providers there with you for the entire time. Mm-hmm. And by the way, those trials look like they're going to lead to a requirement for all of that that I just described mm-hmm. on the label. So that doesn't currently exist right now, but on the what? What was that? Oh, sorry, on the label. So in other on words, on the label, on label. Okay. When the drug is approved, <laughs> it's not. You're going to need to do all of that stuff that you right. had to do through the clinical trial. So it's very involved. Um, there are only certain places that you mm-hmm. can do that. Mm-hmm. A lot of skills required. Mm-hmm. Right. Like were you going to say something, Keith? No, I was just going to say. It sounds yeah. to me like when you say on label, like for for example, like maps is doing their MDMA trials. They just uh, finished up uh, stage three. And then, you know, there is a requirement. Uh, there was a requirement for two therapists in the room, um, you know, a certain amount of time. Uh, obviously, I think it was four out, three three to two, two, four and two, or maybe four, four and four. But in terms of hours of preparation, um, journeying and then integration work. So is that what you're talking about when you say on the label? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So as opposed to, you know, most drugs, they don't have that kind of a requirement. It's, you have this indication, mm-hmm. you know, the doctor says you have this indication and you're you're not, you know, pregnant or whatever, you can take the drug. Right. Uh, but that's not what this looks like right now. Those are much more complicated. You, know, you have to do all of these things in this way or else you can't be prescribed the drug. So those are limiting. You know, you have to you have to recognize those are limiting. So those are complex trials to run. And and I think one of the biggest issues that has become very clear, and I was at this really interesting scientific conference a few weeks ago now, maybe it's a month ago now, where the, the absolute leaders in the field, so the you know, the chief scientific officers, chief medical officers of of Delix and Gilgamesh and Compass and Simon, like they were all there. We were all there. It was a really small conference. There was kind of like, there was kind of like 50 scientists yeah. and 50 other people trying to sell stuff to the scientists. Right. But it was, a, it was a small conference, and we were talking about what we're learning. And one of the things is the number one predictor of success in a clinical trial is whether or not the patient thinks they got a psychedelic agent. Hmm. Number one predictor. Mm-hmm. So controlling is a big issue here because, you know, that's not cool with the FDA, right? You want to get something approved, you've got to show that it actually works. Mm-hmm. And if it's the number one thing is they think they got it. So mm-hmm. the clinical trials, the control on those clinical trials is a big question. Mm-hmm. Do you give somebody low dose psilocybin? Do you give somebody something which makes them feel funny, but it's not a psychedelic? Mm-hmm. You know what? What do you do? So that's it. It, it makes it a bit of a hairball, honestly, to right, do those right, trials. Right, right. The much easier trials are the non-hallucinogenic because mm-hmm. you don't have to control for did the person think they got 
a psychedelic agent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, frankly, it's a lot less obvious, right? <laughs> you really don't know. Uh, so those are run much more like classic big pharma studies, much more straightforward to run. Huh. It sounds a lot like uh, it sounds like a, a lot like microdosing in some way, because, you know, within the microdosing trend, if you will, uh, a lot of people are talking about the opportunity to shut down the default mode network to be able to go ahead and not ruminate, not go ahead and deal with, you know, PTSD or trauma in the same way, be able to unfurl, you know, traumatic memories or being able to be more present, if you will. Uh, for whatever is going on. And it sounds very, very, very similar when you start taking a look at the non-hallucinogenic. Um, and then the other side of it, I, I do understand when you're uh, you know, taking an hallucinogenic, you wanna, at least in terms of the control, you wanna go ahead and make sure that the set, the setting and the integration, at least the parameters are there, you know, obviously, uh, so that the person can uh, you know, uh, unhook from or unburden themselves, perhaps from what they heard, what they saw, what they heard, what they understood as a part of their journey. How, if you're if you're doing a non-hallucinogenic, uh, obviously there is no journey time. You just take the pill, and then you're able to you f- you feel pretty good. Now, you've got this thing, uh, uh, it's, I guess, your lead program, something called the EVM 201 series. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And, you know, how does how it offers this new approach to treatment of psychiatric disorders? Sure. And again, you've got a really packed full series of questions there. I love it. Um, so if I can answer your very first one. Please, please. I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 yeah. I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm just so excited that we're yeah. talking about this stuff. It's it's very interesting to me. No, no, I love it. I love the dialogue, Keith. Absolutely. So to answer your first question, is it a lot like microdosing? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's mm-hmm. a lot like microdosing. The distinction would be because we're tweaking the molecules, mm-hmm. we think we can actually keep the neuroplasticity induction higher than if you were simply to take say psilocybin and dose it lower so mm. we think you know you get a more potent effect with let's say the same amount of side effect if mm. that makes sense okay. that's that's the the rationale behind that now i think your uh your kind of final question was what's 201 how does that work so right. 201 the 201 series that's the one that we drew out the molecule we call 373, the lead molecule. Mm-hmm. So that is the hallucination inducing molecule. Very similar in some ways to psilocybin, you know, induces those hallucinations. The distinction would be, and I've, I've got to, you know, qualify this with in animals because we haven't got human data yet. But in animals, the distinction is um, we designed it specifically to get to the patient's brain Mm -hmm. faster Mm -hmm. and to leave the body more quickly and also to avoid the gut. Mm. Psilocybin is administered orally because in the gut, it separates into the active ingredient. But the receptors, there's even more receptors for psilocybin in the gut than there is in the brain. So Mm. a lot of people vomit after having had psilocybin. So this avoids that by avoiding the gut and avoiding Mm -hmm. 
um, having that low dose. So, the, so the, the, that's the two hundred one. Yeah, that's the two hundred one exactly. So ultimately, the idea is think psilocybin, but mm-hmm. faster on, faster off, less GI upset. Mm-hmm. That's that's the theory. But then otherwise, the paradigm follows in the footsteps of psilocybin. Give it to patients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Control the set and setting, and it may well be that you have to do two or three treatments, and then look for a durable response. That's how we're. That's how we see that. That's the paradigm for that one. I see. So let me add. What's the response from the medical community about, you know, looking at the this EVM two hundred one, the, you know, as you say, the lead molecule. What, uh, you know, what's their response in general? Yes. So I would, I would now, we, as you can imagine, we've had lots of communications with folks in the medical community and mm-hmm. and the psychiatric community in particular as well. And I would say groups they generally fall into two groups. The larger group, honestly, is conservative and doesn't really get excited about anything that induces hallucinations, whether it's what Compass is doing, what Maps is doing. That's probably the larger group that says, eh. There's a lot of issues, and mm-hmm. a lot of my patients aren't going to want to do that. That's that's one response. Mm-hmm. There's another group, and it's very material, that says, you know, my patients are really in dire straits. Mm-hmm. This seems to be working. I'm really excited, and the the response that we get is they always say, how does this compare to psilocybin? And I say to them what I just said to you about faster on, faster off, less less GI upset, mm-hmm. and every one of them says, oh, that mm-hmm. would be really good. So mm-hmm. that is the response we're getting is that from the point of view of the caregiver, they think that it'll be a significant advantage over mm-hmm. what is currently being anticipated to come out from those leading programs, the, the ones that are in you know late stage clinical trials right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, I also know you, that you've got this 301 and that's the one without the psychedelics. That's the one without the hallucinogen, right? Yes. So within that area is there a different uh, a, a different thought process from the medical community looking at the 301 versus the 201 because 201 sounds like psilocybin without the upset you know without you know and 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 certainly when you look at a pill you know and the pharmacology of it you're able to go ahead and maybe go to the doctor or get a sub- prescription and you have a broader range certainly it sounds like with the 301 versus the 201 which might not get the broader adoption because of the hallucinogenic quality is that true can you speak to that yeah that's very accurate keith and i have to say we were we were actually almost a little surprised at how much greater the interest is in that non-hallucinogenic being kind of you know embedded in the whole psychedelic sector we like everybody else see the benefit from the hallucination inducing mm-hmm. molecules, but boy, the both the medical community and the pharmaceutical and big biotech community mm-hmm. are super excited, mm-hmm. super excited about the non-hallucinogenics. Um, you know, I, I could give you example after example of conferences I've gone to, and that's all they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. They see the potential for the same benefit that we've all seen out of the the early mm-hmm. clinical trials and the hallucination inducing ones, these you know massive 60, 80 percent kind of response rates that last for a long period of time, it's the same mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. So they're saying, hmm, you should be able to get the same kind of response 
but without these major, you know, major side effects from mm -hmm. a patient adoption point of view, from a, you know, caregiver comfort point of view, mm -hmm. from a commercialization point of view. And as you said, now this is something you can prescribe and take it home. You mm -hmm. don't have to go into an office. You don't mm -hmm. have, you know, you don't have to control set and setting all that huge, mm -hmm. huge, like I said, it's surprising to me how much greater the interest is in mm -hmm. that, but it, it definitely is. Now, you you know, when you we started to talk about um, the difference now between 201 and 301, I want to go back to this, how you introduce them from a viewpoint of neuroplasticity. And I want to maybe unpack that a little bit more in terms of uh, the importance of neuroplasticity in the treatment of mental health disorders and you know how does it work and you know when we start taking a look at the 201 versus the 301 is there obviously taking one every day versus you know taking two or three times and then you're maybe done for a little while although the research as we said isn't in on that but can you talk about the neuroplasticity model and why is that so important in uh, either the 201 or the 301 Sure. So, and this is, you know, this is cutting edge science. This is mm -hmm. actually being debated right now on the front pages of, of nature and science mm -hmm. as we speak. But the, the leading minds out there believe that what's going on is you can actually measure a loss, a reduction in connectivity between a couple of regions of the brain, in particular, the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala. Now the amygdala near your brain stem is this ancient piece of the brain mm -hmm. whose goal is to identify incoming threats as threats mm -hmm. and stimulate the fight or flight response stimulate emotions fear terror anger mm -hmm. whatever and also stimulate you to take action run like hell for right. example the prefrontal cortex is this much newer piece of the brain that goes, hold on a second. What? That was just a television show you were watching. Or that was a flashback. That's not a real threat. Mm -hmm. Take it easy. And so this control, this is called top-down control from the PFC, the prefrontal cortex, to the amygdala. That seems to be negatively impacted. You can actually see less firing, less yeah. connection between those two regions of the brain in patients that are suffering from these indications mm -hmm. and it gets worse if you if you have chronic depression it gets worse over time gets worse and worse and so you really want to turn that around so what's going on at the cellular level seems to be this rewiring is it's not actually neurogenesis mm -hmm. which is creating new tissue Mm -hmm. And there is some of that you see out of the hippocampus. But in this case, it's neuroplasticity. The existing neurons are forming new connections. Mm -hmm. And you end up with more firing just from the existing tissue. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that seems to turn up the ability of the PFC to mm -hmm. tamp down on those negative things coming out of the amygdala. And that's basically the gist of what we think is going on. Mm -hmm. There's some arguments right now is it G protein coupled or beta arrestin, you know, the two different downstream routes. And there's arguments, is it hyperplasticity or is it metaplasticity? Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of hand waving going on from some guys that are way smarter than me. But the gist is you got to increase the wiring in these key regions of the brain. Mm -hmm. That's what it is we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that 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 answers it quite a bit. Uh, you know, I have uh, been practicing mindfulness and meditation for over 30 years. And a lot of the work around that, of course, shows that, you know, by just learning how to breathe, by just learning how to presence yourself, by just learning how to just be aware of what's going on, you know, from a sensory viewpoint and the body viewpoint and what's going on, what your, what your thoughts are, to be able to change, a, you know, move a muscle, change a thought, uh, you know, a stimulus response, open the gap, look at the window of tolerance, being able to go ahead and widen that gap so that you're not too hyper, you're not too hypo, but you're right in the window. And it sounds like this medicine is really helping to do that. And that's that's very exciting. Yeah, it's, and you're absolutely right. It's this, it is the same thing. That's what's going on is it's it's coming at it from two different ways. Mm -hmm. And so I'm of the firm belief that you want to do both. You know the kind of mindfulness or if it's integration or whatever it is whatever is your way that's non-pharmaceutical but you're doing the same thing you're making the brain more open to forming new connections new meanings you know mm -hmm. new understandings or um coming up with a new meaning for stuff so yeah you can do that through mindfulness and now for the first time maybe we can do that pharmaceutically I right. think do them both. I think you're going to have that's going to be your best response is mm -hmm. if you do, you know, this kind of this kind of work and have a pharmaceutical boost to it. Mm -hmm. you know, one plus one is three. Right. And then you're able to go ahead and at least uh, spread uh, uh, the uh, have a continuum, have a maintenance program to be able to understand what is going on. And, you know, it would seem to me that, you know, I'm a vet and uh, I'm a member of the heroic cards project and uh, I uh, will be facilitating a uh, panel over in uh, at, at, at Wonderland on uh, the use of ketamine. And, uh, you know, when we start taking a look at Enverec, I mean, you're basically taking uh, plants and, you know, psychedelics, traditional psychedelics, and then you're manipulating the compounds in them in certain ways to go ahead and get different results or to go ahead and attenuate or or uh, uh, allow the uh allow the individual to get um uh the results that they need without the hallucinogenics right so i'm wondering this sounds to me like it would be a hands down kind of like oh yeah let's 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 make this happen why are we waiting you know but i'm sure that you're dealing with some challenges and some roadblocks can you speak to those uh in terms of you know, what are some of the challenges or what are some of the roadblocks in dealing with these therapeutics? Sure, yeah. So, you know, and, and we are coming out of a, an era where for the last 50 years, psychedelics have been, you know, very, very taboo, very stigmatized and mental health also very stigmatized, something to talk about. So we're, it's not like everybody is, is happy to talk about these things mm -hmm. conversationally. There's still a lot of that that we as a society are getting over, but luckily we are. Now, <clears throat> from the point of view of developing, I think there's a few different challenges that all, you know, you have to kind of weave your way through. One, you've got the existing molecules that are already mm -hmm. out there that are somewhat accessible to people. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's some danger of these molecules being used inappropriately or in a dangerous fashion. I mean, there was that report just recently about the the airline pilot who oh, yeah. was trying to crash a plane and was blaming his use of a psychedelic agent. 
So whether or not that's true, there's still some concerns out there. Mm -hmm. And to the extent those could be overblown again, to mm. the extent people could go too far down the wrong path and end up with a backlash again, that would be negative. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one thing I do worry about. Another thing is we are, on the other hand, saying we're going to make completely novel molecules, but we're making completely novel molecules in a whole new arena, mm -hmm. something that's never been done before, a psychedelic that's non-hallucinogenic, that's mm -hmm. tricky, or a psychedelic agent modify it and then try to go through the classic pharma clinical trial process that as we mentioned is challenging right mm -hmm. if your number one predictor is whether or not you think you were given a psychedelic agent and it's pretty darn obvious whether or not you were given a psychedelic agent mm -hmm. more challenges you, and you take all of that and you want mm -hmm. one more challenge well the whole world got super excited about psychedelics two years ago and funded everything mm -hmm now in late 2023 the whole finance world has walked away from psychedelics mm. so they funded way too many things before and now they're not funding enough things today mm -hmm. so it's um all of those are the you know mm -hmm. the various challenges that we have to juggle as we try to weave our way through this minefield that we're in right and and i can't imagine i mean you know when you take a look at uh like you know where where the marketplace is going we have california we have oregon we have denver all of which are now legalizing these plants as uh in, from a controlled substance viewpoint it's you know lo looking at they're still you know illegal but the actual um, ability to go ahead and enforce those laws has been it's been minimized so and then you know we we, we start taking a look at the popularity of of all these plants so i i can't imagine uh that in the pharmaceutical area when you're looking to go ahead and create these pharmaceuticals that really um mimic the same capabilities uh that you're i, I that it's going to be an easy easy road to you know to hope you know there's it, it's just going to be challenging yeah yeah i so i agree certainly on the the, the non-hallucinogenic side no problem mm -hmm. right right but with regard to the molecules that do induce hallucinations, yeah, it's going to be challenging. What what I am somewhat heartened by mm -hmm. is the dialogues that we've had with the DEA and that mm -hmm. we've had with the FDA to date. They are actually ultimately very reasonable. They, uh, I can't believe I'm saying, but I probably would not believe I was saying this if you'd asked me this three years ago. But there's, you know, show us show us that this works we recognize that mm -hmm. there are major mental health issues and if you show us that this works in controlled setting and that you can control for the risks we can manage the scheduling of your molecule we can manage the approval of this molecule and make it into something that you can actually get to the patients so that part that part is actually somewhat heartening it is going to be a challenge to be able to prove efficacy against this backdrop of the control issue that I brought up, the mm -hmm. negative control. And some people are trying to sidestep sidestep that entirely by not having an what they call an active control. Uh, so there are ways. There are ways to do it, but it's it's not going to be the easiest, you know, clinical program that mm. there's ever been out there because of all this, mm -hmm. all these challenges, all this hair on it. But it's certainly worth doing. I mean, as a society, mm -hmm. we're long overdue. I think 
Yeah, it's almost, time for a change. Yeah. Yeah. Almost everybody has. I mean, sure, you go global, you look at all the people, as huge percentage of the population deals with this, but it's very personal too, right? Mm -hmm. I think almost everybody, if they don't have something themselves, occasionally they've got somebody in their family, a close personal mm -hmm. friend. I know I do, right? Mm -hmm. And it's very personal and it's, uh, you know, it, 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 we need to do something. This is, right. this is huge. And, the FDA and the DA get that, right? So mm -hmm. they just want us to do our part, make something, show that it works, and they'll help us get it. The so, rest of so I have a question for you, and you know, I I want you to put your 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 genie hat on and and maybe you know be a bit of a soothsayer, and uh, really give me your perspective on what you think the future of mental health therapeutics like maybe you know the 301 i know we talk about the 201 i know there's plant medicines out there and so on and so forth but we're really talking about in this case mental health therapeutics uh, such as what Enverac biosciences is uh producing where do you think we're going with this and you know i i know that you're the ceo of the company so uh, you're you're certainly going to have some perspective around that in terms of the mission and the vision. So that's why I'm asking. Sure, yeah. So I think, you know, having been a scientist by training, but a drug developer mm -hmm. for the last 20, 25 years in my career, what I've seen is it's extremely rare for one to get mainstream adoption of a new class of drug that's not regulatory approved not FDA approved. You mm -hmm. just don't see reimbursers covering it. You don't see patients feeling safe taking it. You don't see doctors feeling safe prescribing it. So this means we're gonna go through the FDA, which means, you know, most of the, anything that's really out there that's about, well, I'm gonna be able to buy psilocybin at the street corner mm -hmm. and I won't go to jail for it, or I'm gonna be able to grow my own psilocybin, maybe, but I don't think that's gonna become a meaningful component of how we treat mental health. It's mm -hmm. going to be what's FDA approved and, and mm -hmm. reimburser reimbursed. At least for the broad population. For the broad population. Exactly. And I'm talking I'm talking broad strokes. There will always be people that are self-medicating and, you know, just be careful. So mm -hmm. what I have to say to right. those folks. Um, so but for the broad population, it's going to be those things which are FDA approved. What I've seen is, as I mentioned, a huge amount of interest from the non in the non-hallucinogenic side. Now, when I look at it, I go, ah, you know, this, this uh, hallucination-inducing seems to be very powerful, mm -hmm. but I think it's ultimately going to be kind of a niche product mm -hmm. that will be used maybe in extreme cases or maybe in a, a, a smaller subset of the population. And I can see it being a let's say in an initial induction phase mm -hmm. or crisis management phase. But I think the bulk of this is going to go over to the non-hallucinogenics. Mm -hmm. And I also think that as we've seen in pharma, pharma for mm -hmm. the last 200 years is you never have one drug take the entire market. You mm -hmm. never have that, especially if there have been drugs out there that have some efficacy. What you see is it becomes part of the pharmacopoeia. Mm -hmm. So I think you ask, what's the future going to look like? I think SSRIs are still going to be there. SNRIs are still going to be there. Beta blockers are still going to be there. And this will be a component. Mm -hmm. And it might be the most exciting component and the largest component for the next 10 years. 
but it'll just be a component and it'll be all part of and i hopefully i i am very hopeful that people will continue to use psychotherapy mm-hmm. integration the mindfulness because that actually in my opinion is partly how this works it's mm-hmm. you got to you got you got to attack these problems from multiple angles but i'm excited to have a new tool something that's different a new mechanism that's never been used before and and my my fervent hope is that it will be very synergistic mm-hmm. with everything else that's going on well it's very 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 exciting to think about uh, the revolution and the evolution of mental health care and the ability to go ahead and use these uh tools if you will to go ahead and explore uh to rewire reset reframe you know the mind and the experience someone's you know uh, self-referential experience uh so that they are able to go ahead and function and it sounds like the 301 uh certainly the 201 uh but then as you say the 301 series the EVM 301 series is really has a broader appeal because then you're not numbing or blunting the individual you're giving them the opportunity to just be present just be present for whatever shows up in their lives without ruminating about stress or trauma or PTSD or whatever happened whether or not it's explicit or implicit or you know whatever they're trying to and 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 to your point to have those therapeutic uh tools like psychotherapy or mindfulness or you know the right diet the right exercise all that other stuff which really contributes to it that's very exciting and I, i'm i'm excited to have you uh, as a guest here can you provide any insights perhaps on any upcoming programs or developments in your pipeline uh and uh also um you know how people can find out more about enverec uh and uh you know get get a hold of you maybe Sure. So to answer the la- the last question first, mm-hmm. um we do have obviously a website and we use the the typical media uh social media mm-hmm. platforms to get our our press releases and we we have had quite a robust uh press release year and I think we'll continue to do so. So mm-hmm. it's definitely a place to go to follow the company and the contact info is of course all on the website. So we're we're always like receiving inbound uh inquiries from interested folks um and in regard to what the future will bring um you know beyond the 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 201 with the hallucination inducing and the 301 the non-hallucinogenic program we've actually also seen within our large portfolio and I didn't mention this but in our efforts to create new molecules we created more than a thousand novel compounds that we've been testing and we've realized that there are actually several other let's say subclasses in mm-hmm. within the non-hallucinogenic side that are very intriguing that seem to hit other receptors so things based on the MDMA structure mm-hmm. things based on what some people know as the 2C structure and and things based on the mescaline structure where we have potential to go into a number of other uh, really interesting different indications so in particular Uh, abuse disorders like alcohol food mm-hmm. opiate abuse disorders and even interestingly uh sleep disorders there's mm. some some really interesting molecules that we're finding so we have we our pipeline is so deep you know mm. we could we could spend forever we won't spend forever but you know we could spend a lot of time digging our way through the pipeline so a lot of interesting stuff still to come that's come out mm-hmm. of our discovery platform 
Uh, right now, though, we are absolutely focused on getting these lead molecules into humans and, and show what they can do. Exciting, exciting stuff. Uh, Enverick, E-N-V-E-R-I-C, Biosciences, and you're on the NASDAQ at ENVB, is that right? That's right, ENVB. Okay, great. And uh, again, thank you, thank you, thank you, uh, Dr. Joseph Tucker, for being on the Mindfulness Experience podcast. I really appreciate the time you've given us, and uh, it's just great to hear what's happening in the field of mental health care. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. It was great. Love to talk about what we're doing. I'm so excited and passionate about it, as is the whole team. So any chance to talk about it, of course, I'd jump at. So thank you for having me on the show. You're welcome. That was an enlightening conversation with Dr. Joseph Tucker, CEO and Director of Enverec Biosciences. He's provided us with a lot of insightful information on how the industry is evolving to tackle the issues of mental health disorders. At Enverec Biosciences, they're working to provide innovative solutions that offer the safe and effective treatment options. And we hope this interview has been really insightful to you, our listeners, and we welcome you to join us on the next Mindfulness Experience podcast. In the meantime, stay mindful and stay wise. Thank you.